John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hi, this is Steve. This week... On The Cinephiles, we continue our exploration of Stanley Kubrick's epic, Spartacus, in honor of the great Kirk Douglas, who we lost last month at the age of 103. Now, like all good Roman epics, Spartacus has big battles, cinematic landscapes, and a fair amount of highfalutin speech from a bunch of guys wearing togas. But what makes Spartacus a great film is often not the big scenes, but the small ones. The parental connection between Spartacus and the young slave Antonidas, played by Tony Curtis. The intense turmoil, fear, and bottled-up anger that rages in the person of Crassus, brilliantly played by Laurence Olivier. The droll wit and growing humanity of Peter Eustinos Patias, and above all, the intimate connection between Spartacus and Verinia. This is a remarkable film, and as important in American history as it is in Roman history, because Spartacus is the movie that ended the Hollywood blacklist. So if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend buying or streaming it through our website, cinephiles.net. And if you happen to be one of our supporters on Patreon, we just recorded a new cinephile short comparing the Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix Jokers. We might even have discussed a little Cesar Romero, Jack Nicholson, and Mark Hamill, just for fun. So, that's part two of Spartacus this Friday, and a new Joker short exclusively on Patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. I'm Spartacus! 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 Hello and welcome.
welcome back to The Cinephiles, where today we are continuing our exploration of Kirk Douglas, Stanley Kubrick's massive 1960 epic Spartacus. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a voiceover artist, writer, producer, and host over for the Outlaw Nation and co-host of the Geek Buddies, co-host of the Top Ten Show. And I hope you enjoyed the intermission. Yeah. Well, now we're back. Hit the drums. Um, and I wanted to say one thing before we get into yeah, before yeah. we get into the movie is that so we've already said some of the reasons that there was a lot of chaos on the on the film because yeah. we have all these powerful personalities, and including Kubrick, who really always wanted to have creative control of every single thing that went into the camera. Yeah. He did on every movie before this, and he actually kind of did on every movie after this. Right. And and on Spartacus, he didn't, which was really frustrating. And Kirk Douglas is demanding and intense, and he expects the same amount of intensity from everyone else. Olivier is arrogant and keeps wanting his part big, bigger. He has no respect for Kubrick, who he sees as kind of a peasant. Mm. Um, Lawton is a, always changing his lines. Ustinov is changing his lines. And at a certain point... Trumbo, who is writing and rewriting constantly, yeah. uh, gets angry, <laughs> and he says, I'm out. Wow. He says, I'm going to quit. At the same time, uh, something is going on in Kirk Douglas's personal life oh. that we have to talk about, mm -hmm. which is that he had some, I don't know the guy's name, but he had a guy who was like his best friend, a yeah. little bit older, and that guy became his manager and managed everything. Kirk Douglas never looked at a bank account. He didn't look at a stock certificate. He didn't know what his assets were. He just went, I trust this guy. He's like my brother. Right. And whenever he needed money, he just said, hey, I need, I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to buy a house. And, and there was money. Mm -hmm. So he didn't worry about it. And his wife, Anna, kept saying, I don't like it. We yeah. need, you know, this doesn't sound good. And he goes, no, no, it'll be fine. And this goes on for several years. And then finally, Anna just decides no. And she goes and starts to really look at all the books. Yeah. And it is in the middle of filming Spartacus, the biggest thing Kirk Douglas has ever tried to do, that they discover that they are flat broke. Wow. That this guy has lost all their money. I don't know if he swindled them, if he, okay. you know, if he, if he robbed them, but definitely they are broke. Wow. And so suddenly, Kirk Douglas has this movie that's going out of control. Yeah. He's broke. And now the writer is threatening to quit. And 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 he's really in this real problem because if he gives Trumbo what he wants, which is what Trumbo really wants, mm. is to have his name announced that he's really writing this picture, right. that he is no longer blacklisted. But if he does that, there is the chance that there will be a huge groundswell against the movie right. and, and Spartacus will be destroyed. It'll be stopped, killed. And if that happens, Kirk Douglas is broke. Yeah. You know, and so his the fact that this is happening right at a moment that he's personally really vulnerable is really tough. And finally, he goes to Trumbo and he says, and Trumbo's out the door at this yeah. point. He's like, I'm done. And Kirk says, I'll tell you what, let us get to the end of the movie. As soon as we finish the movie, I'm going to announce that you wrote it and your name will be on it. And Trumbo goes, what? What proof do I have that you're going to, how do I know you're not, you know, I've been promised stuff before. Yeah. And Kirk says, all you got is my word. And he holds out his hand and Trumbo looks at it and he shakes hands. <laughs> and that is how Dalton Trumbo stays on the picture. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. a, yeah. So sometimes it's, it's, I don't know, it's worth more than uh, money. I mean, a person's word. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes. If you can, if they're a trustworthy person. Yes. And they have a chance to back it up. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. I've had, I've had, most of the time, I've had someone break a deal with me. Yeah, it 
I don't think they knew they were breaking it. Like, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they had put it in their brain in a certain way that this was okay. Right. And, you know, and I, there was one situation where a credit had been taken away from me and I was like, no, this was our deal. Yeah. Like, this is my credit. And this person who's a friend just didn't kind of had just put it in his brain that this was going to be okay. Right. And it was not okay. You know, It's amazing the things people talk themselves into. Yeah. That's for fucking sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like for whatever else we might say about Kirk Douglas at this time, and there's some negative things we can say about him. We're going to get into a few of them. <laughs> he's, an, he, he's an honest guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're back in Rome. Glabrus, who we last saw riding off after he'd been put on a horse by Spartacus after yeah. the defeat of the garrison, uh, is speaking to the Senate. He, it is not going well. No. He did not uh, handle himself like a Roman should. He got beaten by a bunch of slaves. Yep. And Gracchus wants to find out what kind of person is Spartacus. I don't know. I think they called him Spartacus. Spartacus. Is that name familiar to you? Yes, it does seem to me. Because he's, of course, he's met him. He doesn't know that, but he's met him. And they ask how the camp was infiltrated. Did you surround the camp with a moat and stockades? This is where Crassus starts to turn on Glabrus mm-hmm. for political self-preservation because he asks it as a toss-away line. Well, of course, you put boats and whatever, right. and there's this freeze, there's this pause of Glabrus, who is like, he didn't expect Gracchus to be the one to be asking him this question. He thought... Um, I'm sorry, he, he didn't, didn't think right. Crassus to be the one. He thought Gla- uh, uh, Gracchus, Gracchus yeah. would ask the question, but it was Crassus who had appointed him into this position now for political preservation, throwing him under the bus. I think he, that is a, chariot, I think that's so 100% right. Yeah. But I also think that Crassus is genuinely disappointed. Yes. This course. was an incompetent thing to do. Right, right. And one thing we could say about Crassus, and he's a very you know, difficult person, yes. is that he's not incompetent. No. He would have surrounded the place with uh, moat and stockade because yeah. that's what a good military leader does. Right. It's funny. I've recently been reading a bunch of Roman histories and you know lectures on this era. But one of the things that surprised me, because we think of the Roman legions are just unstoppable. Yeah. But one of the things that surprised me is how often they get their asses kicked. Mm. I mean, they like in, like what's going on in Spain, the reason that Pompey is in Spain, Spain was a trouble for them for like 100 years yeah. until Julius Caesar came along and then, you know, subdued the, Span- the Spanish. Right. You know, it's like under specific generals, under Marcus Agrippa, under Julius Caesar, under Sulla, under Marius, under Pompey. That's where Rome really expanded. Right. But other times you had these people who went, just like Glabrus does, yeah. well, we're Roman. Right. So we obviously have got to win. Well, it's the same thing we see with the generals in the Civil War, the Union generals. How many of them were put in charge of these uh, the, the army and they had overwhelming numbers and still would find ways to lose. And it wasn't until Grant showed up and Sherman and yeah. they started actually destroying things and winning. You know. Well, you look at what just came out, all the information, I think, from the Washington Post about the war in Afghanistan yeah. and how there were generals saying we showed up and we didn't know what we were doing. Right. You know, and you have just this overwhelming military might. I mean, there's no question that in terms of sheer force, there's nothing like the American military. Right, right. But how to deal with Afghanistan or how to deal with Iraq, yeah. there are much more complicated problems. And in a lot of ways, it relates to Rome conquering Spain. Yeah. It's not easy to conquer people yeah. that in the, where they live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's true. pretty tough. Russia's proven that many times. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and so, as you say, there's mutters that go all around the Senate when we find out that there was no stockade. And Glaber's response, which I, I think is just such a great line, as he says, kind of bewildered, mm-hmm. they were only slaves. Mm-hmm. That's the big thing. Like, and as he's saying it, yeah. he's like, they were never supposed to be this good. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's still shocking to him that yeah. this happened to him. Yeah. And Crassus gets up, and as you say, he throws him under the bus. He says, I submit that Publius Marcus Glabrus has disgraced the arms of Rome. That the punishment of the Senate be pronounced. And basically, he's banished. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a pretty harsh punishment. Yeah, it's 400 miles yeah. or something like that, yeah. Uh, and what's interesting is Gracchus defends Glabrus. Yeah. Yeah. It goes exactly the opposite of what we would think was mm-hmm. going to happen. Uh, if we punished every commander who made a fool of himself, we wouldn't have anyone left above the rank of centurion. <laughs> and Crassus sort of, he is totally making a political move. Oh, yeah. But he also takes blame. Yes. Because he says... One thing more. Glabrus is my friend and I will not dissociate myself from his disgrace. I now lay down the command of my legions and retire to private life. But it's a ploy. Well, he does do it. Right, but it's a ploy because Gracchus is almost immediately going... He's doing this because he wants yeah. people to call. He want they want everyone to beg him to come back, and he even calls him out and said, "This is no time for a senator to leave uh, public office." No matter how noble this looks from the outside, I don't like the color of it. Crassus is the only man in Rome who hasn't yielded to Republican corruption, and never will. I'll take a little Republican corruption along with a little Republican freedom, but I won't take the dictatorship of Crassus. And no freedom at all. And this is sort of the, the the core of their conflict. And why would he, if he's the richest man in Rome, he doesn't need to take anybody's money or anything like yep. that. He can he can play the the bigger, longer game with his power. Well, and w- what Gracchus and Caesar don't know is Crassus was listening to this whole conversation. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, it, it's so interesting. And Rome has this so specifically, which is there's the patrician class, which Crassus, obvi- mm-hmm. Crassus obviously represents. And these are the old people who are Roman citizens, full level, and they are the aristocracy. And then there's the plebeiums and the new men, and, which are like Italians that mm-hmm. came into Rome. Because in, in the Roman world, Romans and Italians are not the same. Yeah. So if you were from somewhere outside of the, you know, outside of the city, you were a second class citizen. Yeah. You know, so for instance, uh, Marius, who's one of the other great generals a couple of generations before mm-hmm. we are right now, he was uh, a, called a new man because mm-hmm. he was from Italy and was made a citizen. Right. Later right. On. We're off to a huge, huge vista. And here we have the biggest shot of the army. And, and it is true that Spartacus really, his armies did grow to about 70,000 people. Mm-hmm. We have this traveling montage. We see families and kids and babies. Verenia and Kirk are going through. There's great sequence of them going through a swamp yeah. and like horses falling. And it's really all really well made. Um, and they go through the snow and all of the thing. You know, a montage exists to tell certain parts of a story. And this is showing freedom, perseverance, yeah. hard work discipline, all of them coming together to work and support each other as a unit. Those are the things that we're learning. And and through watching this montage, you come to really care about this slave army. And then the music changes, and this scene is weird. Because it takes a second to figure out what's going on, and you realize that this couple is burying their baby. Yeah. It's a really rough moment. There's some weird disjointed... Well, I wouldn't say disjointed, I guess. Out of the rhythm of the movie scenes that occur... In throughout the, especially in the second half of the movie, 
Uh, and it's, I don't know if it's Kubrick's kind of like ham-handed attempts at throwing some kind of depth to what's happening here more than just slave good, uh, patrician bad. There's something more he's trying to throw in the horrors of war. Because remember, where, what time, what year is this, 60? So like uh, Dr. Strangelove is only two years later. Yep. So it's like he's maybe a little bit working out what he wants to say with his films. And he's throwing in these little shots where he can throw them in. Throughout and a little bit later, we'll see something too that I thought was very interesting. I noticed this time around too, and if I remember, we'll bring it up. Well, I think you know, as I said, montage exists. It's telling you all these things. Yeah, and one of the things is the cost. Yes, like sure, we gotten away from our masters. We're free, right? But that doesn't make this easy. Right, this is hard. Right. We also see some training and milking a goat, and little kid gets squirted by yeah, some yeah. goat milk. It's cute, and then we go to Verenia, and she is swimming, and she is naked, and man, the censors were all over this. I'm sure this was pretty risque She's and sexy yeah, as hell. She really is. Kirk, of course, is is watching, <laughs> um, and she is reciting uh, Antonitis's song. Yeah. To the blue woods and the purple shadows, I... To blue shadows and purple woods. Because <laughs> you frighten me. Again, sex is handled very frankly. Yeah. He says, I want to make love to you. Yeah. And picks her up at being kind of rough. And she says... You got... You got... Yeah. You, you have to be gentle with me. I'm going to have a baby. Now put me down. And this is some of the best acting... Kirk Douglas has ever done I on too. his face, right? Just the stages that he goes through with the realization of what she's said to him. It's a huge reaction. Yeah. And what's funny is, and I also like Gene Simmons' mm. performance because she reacts to his reaction. Right. Wait, I thought you'd be happy. Yeah. But Kirk doesn't look happy at the beginning. Right. And it's because he's so stunned. And he asks when, and she says in the spring. And he says, Wow. I mean, how do you know? I know. Maybe in the spring. And now he starts to smile. I want to have a son. But it might be a daughter. Why did you tell me? I just did. It's just so great. Mm -hmm. And like all men says, uh, I'm going to have a son. <laughs> of course. And then she throws in, it might be a daughter. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is such a fundamental sexist thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you have a rand. It's like, it's like someone says... Hey, I'm going to flip a coin and you say, I'm going to get heads. Yeah, yeah right. It's like, no, it could be either one. Yes. We don't know. Right. Um, and then I love the staging because he's worried that she's cold. So yeah. he takes his cloak and puts it over his head. So they have both of their heads popping out through the neck of yep. the cloak. It is so cute. It's very sweet. And she says, which is a lovely line. Why don't you kiss me? This is the first time I was ever going to have a baby. And they kiss and they kiss again and they lower down. And there's just a beautiful shot, a long shot of them in the cloak with a really, really long kiss. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yep. Yeah. And sexy. Yes. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really I I I think the Verinia Spartacus scenes are my favorite things in the movie. Mm. That those are what really got me this yeah. time watching it. Okay. And in Rome, the discussion is well, we know they're going to the sea. Why not just let them go? Yeah. And Caesar says, no, we can't because they're, they're if, if we let them go, they're millions of slaves. They're all going to re revolt. There are two things we must do immediately. Confirm Caesar as permanent commander of the garrison. And, and assign two legions to intercept and destroy Spartacus at the city of Metapotum. Because obviously, once we send the legions, we're going to wipe them out. Yeah. Cut to 
Menopotum, and Spartacus has obviously won the battle, and there's a huge, huge celebration. Yeah. Um, one thing that I really like is you see these patricians, obviously, and this woman, obviously a slave, comes and she's just beaten on one of the patricians. This is what I wanted to bring up. Oh, okay, because they're all they're all marching through the city and they're all like excited, and the slaves are like welcoming like a conquering army, this army of slaves. And then you cut to those patricians coming in and dumping uh, their wares, their gold, whatever stuff of, ex- and you see this random older patrician, yeah. this uh, standing there, and then this woman comes up and just starts to beat on him and has to be dragged away and to me that is a subtle sh- uh, thing totally. of her was, she was probably raped numerous times she was probably abused physically in so many ways maybe her family members the same thing happened and this man was a, a fat disgusting evil old man who did these things to her family and that's what I got from that interaction just this feeling of like finally getting able to get a little bit of revenge on this that's movie. how I felt exactly the yeah. same way and I, lo- I don't know if that was a Kubrick thing if that was this in the screenplay word. yeah, yeah I, I don't know mm-hmm. but it's so that's such good filmic storytelling because yes. without putting a big thing on it right. every single person watching the movie I think is going to have that same thought exactly there's a backstory there we don't know what it is it right. must be horrible yeah, yeah. We're at a dinner celebration, and and all of our slaves are kind of happy and drinking wine. And I think the main thing that comes out of this scene, in addition to uh, seeing that you know the pregnancy has proceeded, yeah. is they talking about wine, and someone says the best wine comes from home. Mm-hmm. I think that's thematically really important to the yeah. film. Yeah, um, I think it's Spartacus who says it. Is it? Is it Spartacus? I think so yeah, he's right. It's off camera, so I think so. Um, we're at the Roman baths. <laughs> um, and the Romans talking and playing games, and we're, and we finally go. Hey, we got news from the battle: nineteen thousand men lost, including the leader. Right. And the shock that goes through the baths that this because this was the legions now. Yeah. We knew Glabarus was an idiot, and that was the garrison. And right. yeah, he messed up. He underestimated, but we weren't underestimating them now. Right. Uh, by the way, there was one battle. I don't think I said this in part one because mm-hmm. the, the Spartacus' army became huge so much so that it kind of split off. Mm-hmm. And there was one battle where a Roman legion came in and wiped out a part of 30,000 people. Like, wow. Yeah. And then Spartacus came in and wiped out that Roman general. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that you might notice, we're hearing about all these battles. Mm-hmm. We're not seeing any battles. Yeah. Yeah. Saves the money. Originally, there were no battles. Oh, in the movie. In the movie. Wow. Because we couldn't afford them. Right. You know, so we're just going to hear about them. Um, it's a fascinating thing with so I mean it lends it lends the story at least in the way it's told in the film it lends more to the belief that he was a Roman general or was some sort of Roman soldier to understand how the Romans fight you know what I'm saying to have an inside the guy with a playbook essentially coming on the other side it's uh, I wonder if that's how much of that might be true I have no idea but I'm going to say something I'm not saying this necessarily about you mm. but I am going to say that. The people, uh, uh, and it's like Plutarch and people like that yeah. who speculated about things like this, it also could be buying into the exact same prejudice of, but they were only slaves. Or he has to be noble. That's oh. the way, you know what I mean? I think it's more about the fact that, look, it's not the internet age, right? So the information of how the Romans fight, right. you had to have known how to had to be them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's I, all I, I th- No, no, I know you are. I, I, I think it is but perfectly, point. yeah, it's perfectly logical yeah, yeah. that that would be the case. Hmm. And now they know that Spartacus is heading to Brindisium, and and Crassus wants to talk to Caesar. Yeah. And this is really interesting, because Caesar is a patrician. He's an old family, just mm-hmm. like Crassus. Uh, and he says... Why have you left us for Gracchus and the mob? I've left no one, least of all Rome. 
This much I learned from Gracchus. Rome is the mob. Which is, I forget who said that first. You're right. But that is a classic Roman quote. No. Rome is an eternal thought in the mind of God. This is one of those overacting moments. <laughs> no! <laughs> Rome is an eternal... And then Caesar calls him out. Yeah. And he says, oh, I never took you for... Doesn't he say he says I didn't know you've grow, yeah what if you grow grow religion yeah and I love uh, I, I love Olivier's response which is he says if there were no gods at all I'd revere them if there were no Rome I'd dream of her as I want you to do and then he reaches over and takes his wrist in a very kind of interesting way mm-hmm. and says I want you to come back to your own kind I beg you to is it me you want or is it the cats? And remember, this is Julius Caesar. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have a huge part in this movie, but this is, you know, arguably the greatest man in the history of Rome. Yeah. And he says, Tell me frankly, if you were I, would you take the field against Spartacus? Of course. Why? Because we have no other choice if we're to save Rome. Ah, Caesar. Which Rome? Theirs or ours? The last thing Caesar says is, "I, you know, Gracchus is my friend. I won't betray him. And he stands up to go. Crassus calls him, goes to him and says, Which is worse, to betray a friend or to betray Rome herself? My dear Crassus, I face no such choice. You will. Sooner than you think. Which is exactly true. Right. Um, shattering. Yeah. Because at that next moment, yep. uh, Gracchus calls Caesar over and Crassus says, Your master. Hmm. I mean, he's play, he's playing him. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Gracchus and and Crassus talk, and the, and they say, "Look, we're going to send more legions, but the question is, who's going to lead them?" Right. And Crassus has resigned his his you know commission. He's no longer he's no longer leading any legions. And all the generals, all the other good generals, are saying, "Oh, I'm sick. I'm <laughs> yeah, I'm busy. I'm tired. I can't do it right now." Excellent, as you very well know. I take it the Senate's now offering command of the legions to me. You've been expecting him. I have. But have you thought how costly my services might be? We buy everything else these days. No reason why we shouldn't be charged for patriotism. What's your fee? I love that there's no BS between these no guys. Pretense. Yeah, yeah. No pretense. They both know what's yeah. going on here. We're going to make a deal. Yeah, And it does sting Crassus a little bit because he pauses here to absorb the shot from Gracchus. And I like it. And, yeah. and it may be me just interpreting it, but there's a pause here before he responds. And it could be him just being lost in savoring the moment that he knew was coming through his own intelligence of the situation. But I think there's a little bit of Gracchus's shot at him saying that essentially you buy his patriotism right. uh, that uh, he absorbs for a second before he responds. Yeah. yeah. And what he wants is first counsel and other powers. Mm. And Gracchus says, in other words, dictatorship. Um, one thing, I think this has come up because we've done other Roman movies mm. before, but dictatorship, to be dictator in Rome actually was a specific thing that mm. it is not what it means to us today because people were elected dictator no. for a short period of time. So, and then they would resign and give power back to the Senate. So if we have some big emergency and we got to fight Hannibal or we got to, you know, something, mm. someone, the, the first citizen of Rome would be elected dictator. So they would have these special war powers yeah. and that would be three years or so. And then they would give it back. Well, we essentially do that now with rid of habeas corpus, don't we? Like the sec when we, with Lincoln, like suspending things, yeah, here. suspending it there and then putting it back in place yeah. once the war is over. Yeah. yeah but, but martial law. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. Um, but I, this is too far for Gracchus. Right. 
Um, he says, he says, let me know if your term, my terms are acceptable. And Gracchus says, I can tell you now they are unacceptable. Mm. Times change. Let me know the Senate will change. And he leaves. Yeah. Now we have Caesar alone with Gracchus and Caesar says something isn't done about Spartacus. The Senate will change. But like everything else depends on which way Spartacus jumps. Just now he's trying to get out of Italy. If he succeeds, crisis is over and Crassus may stay in retirement indefinitely. I've arranged for Spartacus to escape from Italy. You've done what? And this is the first time that Caesar is like, wait a minute, what? Yep. And exactly what Crassus had said was going to come past, as you said just a few minutes ago, comes to pass now in this world. Right. So quickly. It's like, now we deal with pirates? Don't you be so stiff-necked about it. Politics is a practical profession. If a criminal has what you want, you do business with him. That should be etched on a stone tablet Mm. in every college and in every every place they teach politics, in every political building. Because that's the honest truth. That's actually politics. That's how it works. Yes. But what's really hard, and we get ourselves into trouble all the time, is... Because sometimes you shouldn't. Right. You know? Right. Like, there are all sorts of criminals that America has dealt with over the years. Yes. And a lot of them have come to bite us in the ass. Right. You know? And we're lost in the idealism that we don't do that. Yeah. Right? This idea, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Here is uh, Trump currently negotiating with the Taliban to have this, uh, uh, whatever, peace treaty go down. Yeah. And we've been fighting the Taliban for how long now? I mean, it's Longest insane. war in American history. Right. We were, we were all gung-ho about it after years. 9-11. Yeah. And now it's like, let's just finish this off. And that's the thing. So there's no absolutes in politics ever. Well, I mean, the CIA aligned themselves with the the Mujahideen in right. the war against this because we didn't like the Soviets. Right. And so we helped train Osama bin Laden and a whole bunch of people who became Al Qaeda yeah. because to go against the Soviets. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the, you know, you look at South America, you look at oh, yeah. Pinochet, you look at the Shah of Iran, you look at all these places. Yeah. There are a lot, or Saddam Hussein is a perfect yes. example of a horrible person that we dealt with. Yep. They turned around and bit us in the ass, you know? So, like, <laughs> your stone tablet, I agree with it, and there should be some other stuff right. written on it, too, like, but watch out, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Also, there's another thing here that occurs is, is Caesar is, he's a young man. So, to him, the idealism is still strong. Uh, Gracchus is a practical man, is an older politician, and understands this is actual politics. You have to negotiate with him. And his plan is the right plan. Spartacus would not come back and take over Rome or Italy or whatever if he's off someplace else uh, with his legions and he's done. But Caesar takes it as an affront and admitting weakness. You know you know what's another interesting movie that mm. you could make totally parallel to this movie? The Education of Julius Caesar. Oh, yeah, sure. Because this is Caesar as a young man, yeah. and he's learning at the feet of these powerful people right. and and becoming a, you know, a powerful... First, he's maybe a pawn, and then he's a you know a bishop, and he's moving up to being king, right? And he's going to be the greatest of them all, you know, until he gets stabbed in the yeah, yeah. 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 Although, well, really, the greatest political mover in Rome is probably Octavius Augustus, who came after him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, great, great shot of of Spartacus' army coming over the sand dune and then disappearing and then coming up on the hill in the foreground. It's really, really cool, and they come uh, down to the beach. Um, and find out how far from Brundisia, and we're 20 miles away. Marco, report back to Spartacus. Tell him we camp tonight by the sea. And that is the original intermission. Yeah. There are several different places that intermissions happen because of the length of the movie kept changing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and we're camping on the beach and we're partying and we're celebrating and people are dancing and clapping and having a good time. And this is the high point of the film. Mm. This is like, we made it. Yeah. And Antonidas is talking about his plans for loading ships. Seems like he's been a really useful guy. Yeah. By the way, in this shot where he's talking about his plans, he might be wearing jeans. <laughs> there's just a shit where you could see there's like, like blue legs. And then in the next shot, he has bare legs. So... <laughs> One little thing that might have gotten missed. It's a big cult. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And Spartacus is asking for reports on Pompey, because Pompey is one of these other generals who we hear is coming back. Yeah. And we see that Spartacus is really acting like a general. He's talking about supplies. He's talking about getting people who have been galley slaves to help us with the boat. Uh, He's talking about uh, different representatives from different groups within his army. Mm -hmm. Um, And who shows up? But the pirate representative. Yeah, yeah. And he shows up on horseback, by the way, yes. this time, so he has no uh, slaves to free. And Spartacus is like, here, I got all your treasure. We're ready to go. And he says, General, I bear a heavy burden of evil tidings. Mm. And we find out there's no ships coming. Right. That the Roman army is landed. And it's basically exactly the opposite of what we thought was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Because last we heard, Gracchus had made a deal to get rid of Spartacus. Mm-hmm. And now we hear, in fact, the opposite deal has happened. Right. And what is the reason that you think the opposite deal has happened? I'm sure Julius Caesar told Crassus. Caesar. And then Crassus went and did what he needed to yeah. do. And watching Kirk Douglas sort of absorb this yeah. is so rough. I, I liken it to uh, Gibson when he finds out Robert the Bruce is under the command. Yes. Yeah, right? it's totally. correlated. We were talking in the in the first installment how there's correlations to other epic films, and this is another one of those Braveheart kind of feelings here. Yeah. Um, and Spartacus grabs a knife, pushes this guy up against the wall, yeah. and has that knife right at his throat, trying to find out what happened. You cut the skin. Yeah. Yeah. And mm. there's no question he'd kill him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what we find out is that Crassus paid them off. Yeah. Crassus paid off the pirates. Um, because he wants to fight him. And now we kind of, that intelligence that Spartacus was bringing in about the other armies, it's like, well, we have Pompey's army landing in another place. We have another army yeah. landing at this place. If I go that way, I run into his army and have this guy at my back. If I go that way, I run into that army and have this guy at my back. Right. There's only one direction I can go, Rome. and that is towards Rome, which is what Crassus wants. Yep. Rome. I find this such a brutal reversal. Yeah. You know, and part of it is because that scene at the beach where everyone's happy is yeah. so happy. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're so close. And I I didn't know anything about Spartacus when I saw this movie the first time when I was in high school. Right. So uh, I didn't know we were going to lose. <laughs> you know, I don't know what your experience was. No, no. Same thing. I didn't know anything about Spartacus yeah. when I watched the movie. And you see that break and you're like, oh, my God. It's just it's just terrible. And it's even worse when. He offers to. He says, "For let me let me redeem myself in your eyes. I'll for a small fee. I can get you and your family and your generals. Of course, uh, uh, I can sneak you away at night and put you in another place. You can live like kings." And he simply just says, "Get out!" Yeah. Like just, it's such an insult to even be offered that option that I would leave my people for self preservation yeah. when the whole point of this movement is for all of us to succeed. So there's some information that that in fact is exactly what Spartacus was going to do. Is that he had a, oh, really? he, he had arranged to get two thousand people, including himself and his family, uh, out of Italy. <laughs> Trumbull's like, no, 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 that's, <laughs> that's not what we're doing. Yeah, but yeah. but again, the not, information on Spartacus is super oh, thin. Course, so I I don't know that that's hundred percent a fact. <laughs> um, and now we get what I think is a really interesting constructed sequence which is the two parallel speeches yeah so we have 
uh, Spartacus speaking to the slaves, and he tells them, you know, we can't, we're not going on boats, right. and there are two armies coming to get us, and we've been betrayed, and we have no ships, and then we cut to the speech in Rome where Gra- Crassus is getting given the the right to rule the legions, and we know that he's now must have gotten everything he wanted in terms of becoming dictator. Right. Um, he's chief of the army of Rome, and everyone is hailing him, and then we're back to Kirk. Rome will not allow us to escape from Italy. We have no choice but to march against Rome herself and end this war the only way it could have ended, by freeing every slave in Italy. It's one of these fatalistic speeches. It's a noble speech. Yeah. But it almost sounds like he's trying to convince himself as much as he's trying to convince the people he is speaking to, right? Because he says, free every slave in Italy. That was never... What? I promise you a new Rome, a new Italy, and a new empire. I promise the destruction of the slave army and the restoration of order throughout all our territories. I promise the living body of Spartacus for whatever punishment you may deem fit, that or his head. And everyone hails him. And again, now we're back to Kirk, who says, I'd rather be here, a free man among brothers, facing a long march and a hard fight, and to be the richest citizen of Rome, fat with food he didn't work for, and surrounded by slaves. Well, I'm sure there are a few slaves like, I'd rather be in Rome, to be honest with you. <laughs> really clear. No. Um, <laughs> to uh, be fair. And I love this last one. Maybe there's no peace in this world. For us or for anyone else, I don't know. But I do know that as long as we live, we must stay true to ourselves. I do know that we're brothers, and I know that we're free. This is Trumbo, right? That's what I thought, too. Don't you think? Yeah, totally. Right, this time around, especially after having done the first part you know, and rewatching it again, I was like, I, I sense that, you know, that this is Trumbo speaking to the other people who were involved in the, in, the in, in the blacklist. Yeah, saying, like, you know, if we band together, we can beat them, we can defeat them, and we can win, you know? Well, and it's interesting, too, as a guy who went to jail for his convictions, yeah. even if we lose, we're free. Right. You know, like, I think Trumbo is saying and feels that if he had capitulated yeah. and was not in jail, he would not have been free. Right. Because he wouldn't be able to be who he is. Right. But by going to jail, that's what actually makes him free. Mm-hmm. You know, and for this group, by fighting back, that, that's what makes them free. Yeah. Because they could all surrender right now. Right. You know what I mean? And right. go back to being slaves. Right. Like Spartacus knows, and this is, goes back to the, the line you were talking about in the last part, mm-hmm. is that when a, when a free person dies, they leave the pleasure of life. Mm-hmm. And when a slave dies, they only lose pain. Yeah. The legions are marching. Spartacus is marching. Crassus arrives at his camp. Each maniple knows its position in line, sir, and exactly what's expected. Every legion commander has been given his battle orders. Excellent. All positions will now be changed. He is clearly a... A powerful general. He gives new battle orders, and he also, we find out, that he's got Pompey and this other army are actually much closer than anyone thought. So he's been planning this for a while. Sir, allow us to pledge you the most glorious victory of your career. I'm not after glory. I'm after Spartacus. And gentlemen, I mean to have him. However, this campaign is not alone to kill Spartacus. It is to kill the legend of Spartacus. One thing about Crassus, 
He, at this time as a general, actually practiced uh, decimation. Do you know what decimation no. really means? It's a Roman word, okay. deca for 10. Yes, 10. Deca, decimation means to randomly draw one out of every 10 soldiers and kill them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. This is a real thing. And Wait, it was a way... His own soldiers? His own the... soldiers. What? If there was a lack of discipline in the army, you go, yeah. we're going we're gonna to take that unit and decimate them, which means one out of 10 of those people will randomly die. Wow. Yeah. Now, you served in the military. Yes. <laughs> Fuck that. But it's very reminiscent of what I was in the Gladiator School, right? That right. one guy who says, well, he always picks one guy and kills that guy to kind of sh show people that he means business, right? And so, same thing here. This is Crassus showing the Roman legions, if they're going to desert or they go to, like, this is what's waiting for you, the punishment. Yeah. This is how brutal I am of a dictator or of a uh, general, so just to keep you in line. Yeah. Some people do believe in this. Um, Sun Tzu did. Sun Tzu yeah. did things like this, you know. Right. Right. I mean, like, it... it it, 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 that's a tough army to be in, though, I mean, because I just go like one out of ten. Yeah, you know, that's a lot. And of random one out of ten. Yeah, yeah. And then who comes in? But Peter Ustinov, of course, of course. I think he is the definition of the word obsequious <laughs> in this scene. Most blessed highness, as soon as I received your message, I hurried into your distinguished presence. And the first one you talk about is is Crassus says Spartacus was trained under your auspices. Yes. In fact, uh, if it isn't too subversive to say so, I, I made him what he is today. You ought to be congratulated indeed. <laughs> and I too, as it happens, since you're so admirably qualified to give me what up to now I've not been able to obtain. Physical description of Spartacus. Oh, yes. Um, but you saw him. Right. And this is where it comes out that this is the person that fought, you know, Woody Strode. Yeah. And the look over uh, Olivier's face is just great. Think that this all could have been avoided. Yeah. If Woody had just killed Spartacus in that moment. That's right. I remember the Negro. Mm, you had good cause to, if I remember, uh, if I may say so, Your Excellency. Brilliant dagger thrust, uh, difficult angle. <laughs> just shots galore. Um, and he still, but he still can't quite get Spartacus's face into his brain, maybe because he was just gossiping with Glabrus the yeah, whole time. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. Yeah. And he wants from Ustinov a description. Yeah. Because he, that one of his main thing he has to do is actually find the real Spartacus. Um, and Ustinov's response is, We're both Roman patriots, sir. You're a great one. I, of course, smaller. We both believe in Roman fair play. You want something from me? I would be lacking in, in respect for my own conscience if I did not say that I wish something from you. Name your price. And what his price is, is after the battle, I want to be the person who is the agent to sell off all the slaves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's funny because we like him on some levels. Yeah, sure. But he's a terrible person. Right. This may be why Ustinov wanted to rewrite some of the lines, so he'd seem charming. He'd seem, he is. you know, interesting to as a character. Yeah. yeah. Crassus agrees and says, stay with us till after the battle. Yeah. Stay? <laughs> you misunderstand me. I'm civilian. I'm even more of a civilian than most civilians. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's no good. He is going to be under guard, and he is going to stay yeah. until after the battle. It's night. Spartacus looks out over the camp. He walks through... Sees the people. This is the Henry V. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, he sees Antonidas. He sees a baby calling to its mom and says, when can we go home? It's a really good, yeah. good little bit to have there. And then he goes to see Verinia in the tent. No matter how many times we beat them, they still seem to have another army to send against us. Another. 
It just seems like we've started something that has no ending. Yeah, you say it's a Henry V moment. You know, Henry, that that whole moment is Henry by himself doing that monologue. But this is him. This is you know Spartacus having the essentially the same kind of monologue, but this time as a scene with his wife with Verinia because he says we just they keep coming back. We can't seem to like just finally kill them all. Yeah, and you see for the first time since he started this whole thing, Steve, you see vulnerability in Spartacus, a true fear in Spartacus that this could really be over. And everything he spoke about and led them to could be done. I think it's. I think it's more than that. Mm. I think he knows it's going to. I think yeah. he's going to lose. Inevitability. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If it ended tomorrow, it would be worth it. And we hear the love theme, and they embrace, and then he says, and again, this is Braveheart. Yep. Don't let me be weak. Right. Don't make me weak. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. There's so much Braveheart in this movie. Yeah, because when uh, the French princess shows up to Braveheart in this cell to give him that potion. And he, and he doesn't want to drink it because he wants to be able to feel everything. He yeah. doesn't want to be weak. I'll say the wrong thing. I'll cry or do whatever. Yeah. No, I want to have my faculties. And the same thing here. She, he's asking her. This is f- so great, too, because, I mean, you know, this is a man. This is guy leading these. But it's still, they take there's moments to show this connection between him and Verenia, how much of himself that he surrenders to her. Well, right? And I think that. It's tender. The, the, the Kirk, one of his abilities. Mm. Is with all of his, it's it's very similar to Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. With all of his intensity, with all of his power, with all of his masculinity, is he has this ability to show true vulnerability, yeah. and that's what makes him such a powerful actor. Well, that's what also is why he's so aggressive as a person, because he actually is a sensitive soul. He's just he's constructed this armor to show, and yeah. that's that's the attractive thing that you initially are drawn to. But it's the vulnerability that keeps you, that really grabs you and makes you like totally. it. Totally. And in these in this moment, you really see it. Yet sometimes, even with you here sleeping beside me, I I feel so alone. I imagine a god for slaves, and I pray. Which is interesting because this is right before the birth of Christ. Right. What do you pray for? I pray for a son who'll be born free. And there's that look of just pure intensity uh, from Kirk. And she says she prays for the same thing. And he says, and this is where I think it's the inevitability of his death. He says, take care of my son, Verinia. If he never knows me, tell him who I was and what I dreamt of. Yeah. And she won't hear of it. She won't hear of it. She's like, don't talk like that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, for you and me, there can be no farewells. As long as one of us lives, we all live. Yeah. Gets me right now. Like, yeah. I, like, it's just such an emotional scene. And now, of course, he does feel the baby. Yeah. Great. Just great. Um, it, I mean, her holding his head against him. It's such a vulnerable moment for this tough guy. And it's just beautiful. It really is. Um, it's before the battle. Spartacus and his men are mounted. They've got spears. The framing is just beautiful. Uh there's women and old men in the army, some with armor, some not, and, you know, some with just clubs and just yeah. whatever they could find. And then we see the other army in the distance. And there is Crassus and trumpets, uh, and they're all in uniform with mm-hmm. their great weapons and stuff like that. This, by the way, was shot in Spain, oh, wow. and this is the Spanish army. Huh. Um, and Franco, who was the dictator of mm-hmm. Spain at the time, he said, "You can't let my, you can't show my army get their ass kicked." Basically, <laughs> um, and again, uh, this is very Bravehearty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to now s- say something else, okay? Which is, I got to jump the timeline. Like normally, we try to go in order, right, right, right. but I want to talk a little bit about what happened in post production. Okay, so um, they are cutting the movie, 
and they finally put together their first cut of the film. First of all, Kirk Douglas invites Dalton Trumpo to go to the universal lot where the screening is going. So he sneaks him in. Trumbo's wearing like a coat and a hat. And he goes and sits in the back of the screening room. And Lou Wasserman, who is becoming the head of Universal, yeah. super powerful guy, all the Universal executives are there. They sit and they watch this movie. This has still has the voiceover, is still in flashback structure. So it's very, very different. Yeah. And it is terrible. Oh. Everybody hates it including Kirk Douglas. Yeah. You know, he's like, this is awful. Trumbo says nothing. Uh, Kubrick is embarrassed. Wasserman is furious. This is the most expensive movie Universal has ever made. And it's awful. They walk out. Uh, Kirk goes to Trumbo and says, I'm sorry you didn't like it, Dalton. And Trumbo says, it might be the greatest movie I've ever worked on. <laughs> and Kirk goes, really? He's like, it needs changes, but it might be the greatest movie I've ever worked on. Wow. And he goes, I need to see it again. And so he goes, okay, so they sneak Trumbo back on to the lot oh. with another different hat yeah. and a different coat. He watches it by himself. 24 hours later, he gives uh, Kirk Douglas a 78-page set of notes. Wow. Yeah. Jesus In 24 hours. Jesus Christ. Uh, Kirk says about this 78-page document that it is the most brilliant piece of writing about film he has ever read. He says this should be taught in every film school to every director. The first thing that it opens with is a quote from Churchill, never give in, never, never, never. That's the, how he starts this thing. And the 78-page the document ends with uh, Trumbo saying, God damn it, team, go, 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 which I love. <laughs> he worked himself into a fervor. Totally. And this is the, the there was a whole bunch of points, and, and one yeah. of them was jettisoning the flashback structure. But the biggest point he made was that there's a ten, there's kind of two movies. Yeah. There is... The big Spartacus, who leads a slave revolt and is a genuine threat to Rome. And there is the small Spartacus, who led a jailbreak. Yeah. And what he said is that the movie needs to be about the big Spartacus. Right. We need to build up his threat to Rome. We need to make him more important and right. scary and get rid of the things that make him seem small. Mm. Um, I wonder what Saul Bass thought. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that because I'm going to get to a Saul Bass thing. No way. Okay. Um, so so then they go and they recut the film. Yeah. Based on his notes and Kubrick's ideas, they have another screening. I'm going to tell you another story about the second okay. screening but later on. But the main thing about the screening is suddenly the movie works. Mm. Except for one thing. There are no battles. All right. There are no battles because they couldn't afford them. And of course, when they showed the first cut to Lou Wasserman, it was not a time to ask for another half a million dollars right. to go film a battle. But now that they showed this new cut and yeah. the movie is working, they convinced Lou Wasserman to go back to Spain and film this battle. Wow. This battle was not in the original movie. Wow. It was only added later after they made the second cut. And again, I feel like this battle influenced many epic battles in 100%. other films. You yeah. Because it is brutal. So you asked about Saul Bass. Want to know who designed the battle? Uh, Saul Bass. Saul Bass. <laughs> all of the formations and the way the armies moved. And the, this is all Saul Bass stuff, which is so weird to me. Like, he just pops up. Yeah. It does this stuff. Um, according to him, by the way, I bet if we heard Kubrick, Kubrick oh, right. would say, no, no, no. I did this. Saul occasionally would come in with a 
pointer. Yeah. Um, and we see the Roman armies marching in boxes. Yeah. One of the interesting things is that this is a, a composite shot, which means it's oh. actually two shots yeah. because the, uh, the number of Spanish army people they had was half as many. Mm -hmm. So they send one box forward and then they have that box come back and do the same march again. And they put them so it looks like two boxes are marching oh, one behind oh, each oh. other, but it's really just one. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. A good way to stretch your, uh, stretch your troops. Yep. Um, I don't understand why Crassus chooses to attack uphill. That seems like bad strategy on his part. Mm. Um, but man, those legions coming, it's scary. There's yeah. a lot of people coming yeah. and they stop, they adjust formations, they shift, you see the training and then Kirk makes a signal and up come these big rollers that they light on fire. Yeah. And they roll them down the hill at these guys and it's genuinely scary. What an interesting tactic. Yeah. Right. Well, again, Braveheart because yeah. they light the field on fire. That's right. That's right. And by the way, when it looks like there's a dude getting hit by a giant thing rolling in fire or yeah. leaping over one of the things, yeah. that's what happened. Right. There's not, it's not fake. I mean, maybe there are a couple of dummies in there, but right. there's a lot of real people dealing with a big, huge fire rolling. I like them. that one dude who leapfrogged. Leaped it. over it. Yeah, You're like, crazy. Oh, yeah, he doesn't want to die. And we have this moment where like, hey, maybe we're going to win. Yeah. And our guys, you know, uh, Spartacus and all our guys charge down the hill and there's fighting and it's really brutal stuff, I yeah. think, at the time. There's a shot where Spartacus cuts a dude's arm off. Yeah. And the way you do that, that was a guy missing one arm. Yeah. And oh. they make a fake arm. <laughs> that was also cut out of the original 1960 film because it was too violent. Um, it's really good fighting. And Tinnitus is fighting. He's doing a good job. And then we, we realize the other army has showed up. Yeah. Pompey and his forces arrived. And Kirk looks up. And it's just so obvious, like, we're going to lose. It's resignation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they keep fighting. They fight for everything they're worth, but it's no good. It's not going to work. And we and we dissolve to later on. Horses are running away from battle. And this shot as the camera moves among the dead bodies is really brutal. Yeah. This was cut down, too, for the censors. Um, and there's women. There's children that are dead. Just, just awful. And the father we had seen in the montage of them walking... Uh, when they were being received in the town, the slaves, before the patricians were dumping all the gold... The, you saw a close up of the father with his two kids, yeah. And then as they're scan, as he scans the the bodies, they're there. He slowly oh. goes over the dad with the two children still in his arms, dead on the ground, like in different form. Obviously, they're under his arms, but still trying to be with them. So. I didn't catch that. Yeah, no, it's that's a little. It's a little wow. thing like that, you know, that kind of so reinforces yeah. the the pain of war. Because it's, I mean, this movie is a tragedy. Well, and yeah. all these people wanted to be free, Steve, right? Yeah. But they all die. The movie is a tragedy. Nobody gets saved. Nobody, except for maybe Verini and his and child. Kid, yeah. But like everyone else dies in this pursuit of freedom. So you guys, like, is life more important or is what you do with life more important? So anyway, it's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's a conversation. Tough, it's a tough movie to reckon with. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, again, we made so many comparisons with Braveheart. Braveheart at the end right. has the final battle where we hear that the Scottish, right. you know, fought back. Of course. And so there's a moment of the hope. Happy but, ending. Yeah. But mostly Braveheart's just brutal and terrible. Yeah. yeah. You know, like th th there is a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a very, very sad movie. And now we've come to what I think is the most famous scene in the film, mm -hmm. which is all the prisoners are there, including Spartacus, and, and who's chained up to Antonitis. Yeah. And there's Crassus. Slaves you were, and slaves you remain. But the terrible penalty of crucifixion has been set aside on the single condition that you identify the body or the living person of the slave called Spartacus. And there's pause. 
Kirk kind of looks down and he thinks and he stands up to say who he is. And just as he stands up, Tony Curtis stands up at the exact same time and says, I'm Spartacus! 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 And another guy stands up and says, I am Spartacus. And I am Spartacus. And everyone, the whole, every single slave soldier stands up and says, I am Spartacus. That's an amazing scene. It's always funny to me to see the scene now because of that film with uh, uh, Alan King and Billy Crystal, uh, Memories of Me. Because he says, when he talks about his credits, he says, I'm the 27th guy to sell I Am Spartacus. <laughs> Spartacus as, as one of his extra credits. So, <laughs> Well, and, and I don't know if you remember the Tom Hanks, That Thing You Do movie. Oh, yeah. They quote I Am Spartacus all the time. They oh, go really? to see that movie. <laughs> and we just did Life of Brian, which has a total at a crucifixion That's true. moment. It's sort of a, an anti I Am Spartacus moment. <laughs> what's, I am Je- what's his name? Brian. Brian. That's I'm, right. Brian. I'm, no, Brian. I'm Brian. I'm Brian. I'm <laughs> Brian. That's right. Um, the, it's an amazing scene. It is a great scene, And man. Kirk's look, he looks down, weeping as mm-hmm. this happens. Well, well, just the one tear. Just the one tear comes down from Kirk's face. And I love it because it means th- like finally he's been moved. He's like what he did was worth it, right? It's easy to believe with your leading that it's worth it, but you don't know if they all feel the same way. And in that moment, I think Spartacus finally accepts that what he did was worth it and acceptance from them. I have the opposite reaction. Really? Yeah. I mean, obviously we we don't know, but to me, it's like all of them are now going to die. Ah, you know, like, like he wanted, he was willing to die to save all their lives. Right. 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 And now them to protect him are all going to die. Okay. Like this whole thing, it's all, wasted it's all useless like you know everyone's being wiped out to me i feel this way that well okay and i hear your point i'll throw one thing to say that i think this is possible because if this is shot after they got the money from uh, washington no this is before okay this is before but this could have been put in here after trumbo and kirk i'm sorry kirk yeah kirk douglas trumbo and kirk had that handshake agreement this is Kirk saying, this is them all, Kirk standing up for Trumbo saying, I am on the blacklist. I am on the blacklist. 100% agree. I, so the, the, could be yeah. I think it is, I think emotionally that is what's happening. Yeah. It is saying, I will not name names. Right. You know, I, but it's at that moment. And if Trumbo's point is that by, this is what it means to be free. Right. You know, it's like to go to your death, but be who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because to say, to let Spartacus be killed is to go back to being a slave. Yes. You know, and that's what they're not doing. Right. So, and, and I think what we I, I would say is that everything we've said is true. Sure. That's what makes this a great moment exactly. in film is it's tragic mm-hmm. and horrible and heroic yes. and amazing and brave and moving. And, you know, who could even imagine the emotions that would go right. through Spartacus at this moment? Right. Uh, by the way, uh, what I've heard is that Kirk watched Spartacus again at the age of 100. <laughs> and when it came to this scene, he said, I am Spartacus. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that makes me cry. That's awesome. You know, that's amazing. It. So I have to tell you a story about this uh, okay. this scene. Don't you so, ruin it. Don't you ruin I'm it. I'm not. I'm not okay, going to ruin okay, it. Okay. But, I'm, but it's, <laughs> it's a crazy story. So first of all. Kubrick is not a likable guy. I, well, duh. He's not like your buddy. He's a genius. He doesn't hang out with people, and he right. doesn't care about charming people or mm-hmm. making people like him. Apparently, one thing that bothered people that's very and bothered Kirk, he wore the same clothes to set every day. Yep. And Kirk, it's just 
made Kirk go like, why aren't you trying to make a good impression? Why aren't you trying to be likable? And tension between them is going up and up. And because Kubrick is just such a pain in the ass. Yeah. And so Kirk's getting angrier and angrier. And then, according to Kirk Douglas, I am Spartacus is his idea. He came up with, it's not in the Trumbo script. Oh, he says, shit. I came up with I am Spartacus. Now, that's what Kirk Douglas says. Right, right, I don't right. know if that's true or not, but that's what he says. And he writes a memo and sends it to Kubrick saying, I think we should do this scene where I say, I'm, you know, everyone says, I am Spartacus. Right. And Kubrick does not respond. And days go by. And <laughs> they're shooting a scene, and Kirk is on a horse, yeah. and Kubrick is directing. And Kubrick is wearing the same clothes and Kirk rides up to him. So he's on horseback and Kubrick's on the ground and he rides up to him and says, would you change your clothes? It would make people think you care about making a good impression. And Kubrick says, but I don't. (laughs) And Kirk pushes him back with the horse and drives on him. And he says, I care. Um, and all the crew is watching. Oh, shit. And he says, I order you. I'm the boss. I am the producer. You're going to show up in new clothes tomorrow. Yeah. I don't care if it's khaki pants, whatever. You're going to show these people that you care enough to make a good impression. And Kubrick doesn't respond. And he says, are you going to do that? And Kubrick goes, yes. And then he says, when I send you a memo about shooting a scene, I at least expect an answer. And you didn't respond. And Kubrick says, that's because I didn't want to do it. And he pushes him against a wall with the horse and pins him. And he says, listen, you little prick, I've gone along with you on almost everything. And you've been right about almost all of it. You were right to cut most of my dialogue at the beginning of the movie. (laughs) This may be a stupid idea, but we are going to try it. And he, Kubrick starts to respond and he said, tells him to shut up. And apparently Stanley Kubrick just kind of breaks and, and agrees. Wow. And that is why they shot I am the I am Spartacus scene. Took a combo of animal and man. <laughs> I know, to, right? To, to bring <laughs> Kubrick to heel. Well, and you kind of go like, why does Kubrick disown this movie? Right. You know, like, is that he, I don't think he liked this moment. No, I don't think so either. Now I'm only hearing this story from Kirk Douglas's perspective. Right, right, right. And this is what, cause he wrote a book about all this in his nineties. Right. But. My guess is he wouldn't have made that up. You know what I mean? Like, that's a pretty... Yeah. Because he doesn't... Because the thing about it, too, is... And Kirk says this about himself. He doesn't like the angry Kirk Douglas that he was. Yeah. You know? He regrets a lot of the pressure and intensity and and anger he used at the time. sure. But then maybe half of what he wanted to do never gets made, maybe. or And his career never happens, or... You know, those are the things that you... Those are the unfortunate uh, uh, conversations, the more complex conversations you have to have. Did my anger fuel my ability to succeed? Sure. And and there's like, okay, I felt bad as some of the things I did, but I, maybe I would have never succeeded. And yes, I'd have been a better person, but maybe I would have been extremely unhappy because I never achieved what I could have achieved, you know? So those are the kind of like the more layered things. You get older, you look at that and you go, ah, you know, maybe. Well, we, I mean, you know, since the beginning of the cinephiles, we've yeah. been talking about difficult people. Yes, true. Who make great art, yeah. you know? And, and that difficult people covers a lot of different stuff yeah yeah um Ustinov comes to find crassus he's a little upset because he had made this deal to like sell all the slaves but you're going right. to crucify all of them right right i don't really get to make a lot of money that way and crassus is kind of well i don't get you didn't give me spartacus and, and you know the timing of him showing up here after everyone has said i am spartacus really bad timing for peter Ustinov. yeah because he crassus is not a good mood no <laughs> no and then they find uh Verinia yeah with the baby you're the woman of spartacus I'm his wife. 
she might have been better off saying not saying this. Well, I, I think it's also this is important though, Steve, because he says you are the woman of Spartacus, which is oh, like you're right. That's you're a great. You're just point. a slave. You're just the woman. Yes. She goes, no, I am the wife of Spartacus. There yeah. is, a, I am. I the titles you give yourselves in your patrician class, we can have them as well. I I had right. thought about it. That is a fantastic point. You're hundred percent right. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, and that this is his child, and he asks where Spartacus is, mm-hmm. and she says, dead. Did you see him killed? Yes. And he says. You're lying. You're lying. And uh, Yusinov is like, oh, I got someone I could sell. Yeah. Get back some money on my investment. And Crassus says, no, I'm taking her. You can have the other women. <laughs> Yusinov's like, have you seen the other women? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Uh, horrible. Horrible. I'm sorry that I laughed. Flog that scoundrel out of camp. This woman and her child had to be conveyed to my house in Rome. Maybe the one good thing he does in the whole movie was to flog him out of this camp. Spartacus and the rest of the slave army are marching chained. Crassus says to stop, and then he spots Antonitis. Yeah. And it's so interesting how Olivier plays this because he see he obviously recognizes Antonitis. Mm-hmm. And then he looks at Spartacus, and you could see like that back of his head, do I know you? Yeah. And he starts to maybe suspect, and he says Slaves are to be crucified along the roadside. Hold distance between here and the gates of Rome. Hold this man to the end. And that man too. And then the march past the crucified bodies. This is tough. Yeah. And then later, as we see, we hear people getting unchained and crucified right in front of them. The knocking of the nails into the wood and the screaming and all the oh man. I had forgotten that that was in the movie. And it's thousands of people. Yeah, right. I mean, like how many cries did he hear? Like yeah. for days, for weeks. You yeah, know? the body's just rotting on this road. Yeah, and well, and this is the thing: is like we, on some level, elevate you know the glory of Rome right. and the beautiful architecture and the right. art and the the Senate and the right. and the philosophies and all that stuff. This is Rome. Yeah, you know as well. You can't you can't separate right one from the other. Right, because this is not BS. Yeah. You know, people think of a crucifixion is something that was done to Jesus, just to Jesus, right? Yeah, and those two other guys. Yeah, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. It is a was a common method of killing people. Yeah, yeah. Yusinov has made it uh, back to Lawton, and he says, and he has been whipped, and he says there are more stripes on my back than a zebra. Every time I touch my wounds, they sing. <laughs> Sing like larks. But in spite of that, I think I found something that I never had before with all my wealth. What is that? Well, don't laugh at me, but I believe it to be dignity. Now, this is the first honestly vulnerable moment you get from him in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I love it because, it, and Ustanov plays it so well in that, in, that, in that beat. He plays it so well because he changes just for that moment, just for a few seconds, and shows you that underneath all this thing with this guy, there is a possible human being hanging around out there. Well, it's such an interesting thing because both Lawton and Yusinov are likable in yes, some ways. Yes, And both of them have done horrible things. Right, right, and, right. And, and both of them are realists mm-hmm. in a certain way. Yeah. And both of them also have this core of some goodness. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that they're good people. They're, I don't think they are. Right. But they have goodness to them and they're about to do a very good thing. Yeah. Uh, and I love I love Lawton's response to Yusinov saying he found get, uh, dignity. He says, In Rome, dignity shortens life even more surely than disease. <laughs> and this is where they basically come up with a plot to steal Verinia. Yeah. It's like, we can't we can't get back of Crassus in any other way. He is, you know, he's beaten he's Spartacus. Too powerful. Way too powerful. Yeah. But maybe we can steal Verinia. And, and Yusinov is like, look, 
that doesn't sound like a good plan to me. <laughs> and he says, well, maybe half a million sesterces. Yeah. And we finally go maybe a million sesterces. And we talk about adding honesty and bravery to his newfound dignity. It's a really fun scene. It is. And, and after they make this deal, who shows up but Julius Caesar? Yeah. It's a little overly structured the uh-huh. way this happens when he uh-huh. says no you're always welcome here as a student yeah and then they walk over and we see that he's with a bunch of guards not alone no this time you've come to teach yeah lon is so good in these moments man. he really is what i do i do not for myself but for rome oh. poor helpless rome let's go and hear more about rome from crassus Crassus, yeah, of all people. Well, and we see these characterizations of Rome as this powerful mm-hmm. thing that Antonidas can't fight. Yeah, Rome as this beautiful woman, Rome who you marry, right? And Rome who essentially Crassus talks about, essentially the way he describes it, raping her. Yeah. And now we're going to hear more about Rome from Crassus. Mm-hmm. Did you truly believe five hundred years of Rome could so easily be delivered into the clutches of a mob? Because for Crassus, this wasn't really just, wasn't about Spartacus. Yeah. This was about destroying Gracchus. Right. That's what he really wanted. Already, the bodies of 6,000 crucified slaves line the Appian Way. That's crazy. The enemies of the state are known. Arrests are in progress. The prisons begin to fill. In every city and province, lists of the disloyal have been compiled. Tomorrow they will learn the cost of their terrible folly. That treason. This is scary stuff. Yep. He's solidifying his power. And where does my name appear on the list of disloyal enemies of the state? First. And then he says, but I'm not going to kill you, basically. You're going to go live in a place, and you'll be fine. You're not going to come into Rome. And it's like, well, why am I being kept alive? He's like, well, I might need you sometime to come out and say some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to keep him as a a pawn. A pet. A pet. Yeah. Basically a pet. And the look from Charles Lawton is great. Yeah. This is where he's just so good. He knows exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. And Crassus <laughs> says, you may go. He just gets right up and goes. There's no comment, no line, no sarcastic, nothing. He just gets up and goes because yeah. he knows what he's going to do. I love it. Spartacus and Antonidas watch more people being crucified. Now we're in Crassus's home and Verinia is dressed beautifully. Yeah. And there's like a maid working on her hands and... Here comes Crassus, and he says, Now why hide behind that stola? Hmm? And she takes off her stole. That dress took some weeks of a woman's life. You above all people should respect the work of slaves and wear it proudly. Man. Yeah. Yeah, you, you kind of misjudged this one, Crassus. Dog, your game is terrible, dog. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he puts a necklace on her. It's belonged to a queen. Queen of Persia. Yeah. How am I supposed to feel about it? Like, why yeah. is that supposed to make me feel good? Right. Her only response is, it's heavy. <laughs> uh, and he brings her to another room and tells her to sit down. She sits down. He asks if he'll have some squab with honey. Um, by the way, I'm not going to make a long digression. Yeah. Um, it's so funny what I've learned about Roman food, because it has nothing to do with Italian food. Mm. Because all the main things that we think of as Italian food... Uh, came later because yeah. pasta didn't come till the 12th century or 13th century. Tomatoes uh, came from South America, like right. all of. So they ate uh, uh, a lot of things that were like uh, Vietnamese fish sauce was their main, like that kind of like they would rot fish right. in a barrel to make this sauce, and then they would drink watered wine wow. and a lot of seafood 
Anyway, <laughs> not related. Um, she offers the squab and honey, doesn't want it. Uh, offers her melon, she doesn't want it. And then he says, eat. And she takes a bite and eats. Yeah. And he says, I didn't command you to eat. I invited you to eat. She took a bite just to get just to get him to shut up. It's such a quick bite. Well, no, I, I mean, and I think she's very clearly doing, if he orders her yeah, to do something, right, she'll do it. Right, because her child's at stake. Well, and, and she's not going to give him an inch. Right. She's like going to make him, it's like, because what she's essentially saying is, you can order me to do anything. Yeah, yeah. I can't stop you. Yeah. But I'm not going to give you any illusion that I'm doing this willingly. Right. She asks why he's here, and he says, good question, a woman's question. Mm. I don't think that's a, what makes that a woman's question? I don't know. He asks if the infant thrives. He does. Mm, I purchased a wet nurse for him yesterday, I hope, and milk agrees me. I sent her away. I prefer to nurse the child myself. This was all cut by censorship. Can't can't talk about nursing. What the fuck? Yeah. I'm not sure I approve. Ties you to the old life. And I want you to begin to look forward to the new. He doesn't want her to do what he says. He wants her to want to. This feels very much like, remember in Gone Girl, when Neil Patrick Harris, like, has uh, Rosamund Pike in her house, in his house, and she's of course got this whole thing about how the abuse that she suffered right. Ben Affleck's kid. And he's t- every time he comes home, he's like, "You have to start letting go of this. You have to like be embrace this new life with right. me." And blah blah blah. This is very reminiscent of this. Is and this happens sometimes. Men want to force women to f- have feelings for them, uh, or they slide in and like slide in after a bad boyfriend or bad husband or whatever, and they think they can like will these people. And don't you see how well I'm treating you? Don't you see how good this is going? You should feel this way. Man, there's nothing more difficult to turn than a woman's heart. She will come to you when she's ready to come to you. And as long as you don't force it, I think you'll get way more better results. And she says that in in just a little bit. That's exactly what happens. I don't care about my new life here. You care about the life of your child, don't you? Why do you threaten me with my baby? I belong to you. You can take me anytime you wish. Which again is very frank discussion yes. of rape. Essentially, it's like you could take me. Yep. Why? Why? You don't have to threaten my kid. And again, just like he said, I didn't order you to eat. I invited you. He says, but "I don't want to take you. I want you to give. I want your love, Rena." This dude with his oysters and his snails and his power of Rome and Antonidas must submit to it. And now he wants this woman to love him. He's got some real illusions about what love is. Yeah, he's incompetent in this arena, which is why it frustrates him. You think by threatening to kill my child, you make me love you? I did not threaten to kill your child. Gaslighting him. And then, yeah, exactly. And then one shouldn't grieve forever. Like it's literally, he's like it's a, you know. It's, it's been a couple of days, pal. Yeah, come on. I, I was part of a slave revolt, and like there's a lot of stuff that happened. You haven't even crucified him yet. Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and then he starts asking her about Spartacus. What sort of a man was he? He was a man who began all alone, like an animal. Yet on the day he died, thousands and thousands would gladly have died in his place. Nobody's going to die for Crassus. No. No. He'll decimate you yes. if you don't do what he says. Right. He'll buy you. He'll pressure you. He'll force you. Right. But he has no loyalty. Nope. No. Some people rule by fear. Some people rule by love. There's two different things. And Yeah. And he can't understand the other no. way because he's so transfixed with his way. 
Daniel Milton. Why did you love her? And I love her line. I can't tell you. I can't tell you things you can never understand. Which is such an incredible shot at your foundation as a human being. Like, just what a... It's like a, a scythe, what they call a scythe. And she just yeah. completely cuts them in half with that. Well, in the next moment, too, because she looks at him, she backs away, and she says, you're afraid of him, aren't you? <laughs> and he backs up, too, because he is. Yeah. That is really, really clear. That's why you want his wife. To soothe your fear by having something he had. When you're so afraid, nothing can help nothing it's great the slave more powerful than the most powerful man in rome of course because he gives away his yeah. power in that moment by yeah. showing it to her um and and, and olivia is great in this scene i mean he, he he i think this character that he plays in this movie it might be the most interesting character in the film in some ways because mm-hmm. it's so conflicted and dark and yeah. pained and powerful and smart and yeah i mean yeah and and this is why you cast someone like Olivier, and you deal with the bullshit. Yeah, because believe Olivier brings these kind of this to the roles he plays. He brings this complex because he's because he's at that level where I won't bother unless I can do what I want to do with it. I won't br- you won't get the best of me unless I can do what I want to do with it. And he does. And you're right. He's not altogether a bad person. He just has a different point of view about how to go about these things, and they can be seen as evil. Right and certainly, but but he's also well, he's evil. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, he's a yes, horrible person. Sure, in the context of the movie, he is. But his perception of Rome is this: he thinks 100%. I know what's best for Rome. Put me in charge of the whole thing; it'll run smoothly. It'll be fine. I just I I think it's been you know the fact that he wants to remove the Senate, overrule the courts. Does that sound familiar? He wants to remove the courts, being able to say anything against politicians or turn their decisions around. All this kind of stuff because he is so insecure and he thinks he's so right about running everything. That he, but the one thing he can't fathom is love. The one thing he can't understand is actual human emotion and connection because he probably wasn't raised in a house of love. He probably wasn't. So this is all he knows. So he's he's woefully incompetent at the one thing he cannot conquer. Yep. He can conquer the world and he cannot conquer the woman's heart that he's actually fallen in love with. Well, I don't think he's fallen in love with her. I mean, oh, you don't think so? Well, I don't. It depends. I mean, we, it depends on how we his version of love. Split, whatever split his, hair. He wants right. her. He, wow. Yeah. I mean, like, but he, he wants her to willingly love him. A hundred percent. That's right, what he wants. Right, right. I don't think he loves her. I mean, he doesn't know anything about her. Gracchus like, says he loves her. I think he. I think, you know, like Rome, like everything else yeah, in yeah. Crassus's life, he wants to possess things. That's he wants to possess Rome. Point. He wants to control armies. He wants power. Yeah, great point. And that's not what love is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like yeah. he he might think he loves her. So he says the you know the last thing she says is when you're so afraid nothing can help you nothing and he says we shall see yeah and he storms out and we hear drums and we go outside and Kirk and Tony are the last people left and they're sitting and there's a silence could we have won Spartacus could we ever have won and just by fighting them we won something when just one man says no I won't Rome begins to fear and we were tens of thousands who said no that was the wonder of it we've seen slaves lift their heads from the dust see them rise from their knees hear them hear them sing along the plains and now they're dead 
And then Spartacus thinks of Varinia, who he thinks is dead. Yeah. Um, and the baby is dead. That's what he thinks. Right. And then they look back at this row of cru- crucifixions, you know, and Antonidas asks, Are you afraid to die, Spartacus? No more than I was to be born. I don't know if I understand that line, but really? it's a great line. Because he can't concept of it. He, he can't conceive of it because right. he didn't ask to be born, so he has no right to decide when he can die. Yeah. So to him, there's no... I like the line a lot. Yeah, I do too. But it's like, well, you didn't exist before you were born. You had no opportunity to be afraid of being born. <laughs> True. Um, but, but, but it's still a great line. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asks Antonidas if he's afraid, and the answer is yes. Right. Well, I think it means... I, let me try again. Um, it might mean no more than I was to be born, which means I didn't ask to be born a slave. So right. I wasn't afraid before I was born, even though I knew I was going to be born to be a slave. Like, I, Or I didn't know I was going to be born to be a slave, but like I didn't know about this, so I'm not afraid of it. Death I don't know about, so I'm not afraid of it. It's this concept, you know, for other people to lose. You like know, an- another way to think of it that I just thought of is that there's, there's things in life that we can control. Yeah. And there are things in life of which we have no control. Right. Spartacus couldn't control when he was being born. Yeah. He couldn't control being made a slave. He can't control the fact that he's going to die. Yeah. You know, so why be afraid of it? Right. You know, there's nothing to be done. Another thing about this scene, you'll notice they're sitting, they have their legs stretched out in front of them. Uh, Tony Curtis had to be carried to this position because while playing tennis with Kirk Douglas, he pulled his Achilles tendon oh in the middle gosh. of shooting. Oh my so, in fact, there's a whole bunch of uh, Gene Simmons had surgery and was out for five weeks during wow. shooting. Uh, Kirk Douglas was beaten up and injured a whole bunch. There was a bunch of, you know, he broke that guy's jaw. Yeah, I... and There's a lot that happened on this shoot. So he had to be carried into place <laughs> for this one. Um, some horses ride out and here comes Crassus. And he goes right up to Spartacus and says... Spartacus. You are he. Aren't you? And Spartacus doesn't answer. And he says, Gladiator, I'm Marcus Licinius Crassus. You must answer when I speak to you. No answer. And then what's totally unexpected yeah. is Olivia just screams and hits him. I love it. Ah! It is like like weird, animalistic, totally out of control moment. You want to get into someone's head? That's how you know you got into someone's head. Yeah. When you don't even say a word and they unleash this fury because yeah. they're frustrated. And Kirk's... Kirk's face and body position is so interesting because it's almost from a place of pity, reserved pity, because he's just like this. Yeah. He's just like staring at him through an elevated head. And then when he slaps him like that, Kirk takes the slap and then spits on him. And it's a sexual moment Mm. because the spitting the fluid onto his face and him reacting as if he's been slapped himself. Oh, and the eyes closed. Oh, it was great. It's so great. It, it's, a, it's a great moment. Yeah. And then he, uh, Crassus gets himself a little bit under control yeah, yeah, yeah. and says, Centurion, let's have him fight right now. And they're going like, no, we had a whole plan. Yeah, Caesar. <laughs> Caesar's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We're supposed to fight in the arena. And he's like, they're fighting now. That's it. They're going to fight now to the death. And the, the, the loser gets crucified. Right. Which is like a tough choice here. Yeah. Um, and they unchain them and they form a circle around them. Don't give them the pleasure of a contest. Lower your guard. I'll kill you in the first rush. I won't let them crucify you. With my last order, obey. That's great. It's a great setup. And they pick up their weapons and they fight. Yeah. And 
it's clear that Spartacus is the better fighter, but Antonidas is doing pretty well. It's the fury of a young man. I won't let them crucify you. Um, and Kirk defends, and he grabs him and says, What are you doing? You realize how long it takes to die on the cross. I don't care. And actually disarms Spartacus. Yeah. And they scramble for the weapons, and Spartacus gets on top and says, Forgive me, Antonidas, and he kills him. It's a great move to grab both of his arms behind his back yep. so that Antonidas can't stop the yeah. uh, the uh, stabbing that's coming. I mean, and, and then this moment where you've just killed yeah. this person that's your friend, and that person who you've just killed or is dying says, I love you, Spartacus, as I love my own father. I love you like my son that I'll never see. Beautiful emotion, man. It's brutal and loving and sad. And yeah. and what's so, it's like, what has Spartacus won? The right to be crucified. Right. You know? Right. That's just so awful. But it's almost, and it's one last noble act. One last selfless 100%. act. Because he wants, and, and he doesn't want Antonidas to go through the, the crucifixion. And he tells Antonidas to go to sleep. Mm. And Kirk lowers the body, um, picks a little bit of straw from his face, which is such a lovely touch. And he weeps. And then here comes Crassus. Here's your victory. He'll come back. He'll come back and he'll be millions. Love that. Yeah. And then Crassus has him, though, because Crassus' next line is, I wonder what Spartacus would say if he knew that the woman Verinia and her child are slaves in my household. That hit Spartacus. Yeah. The slap didn't hurt him. This hurts him. Yeah. And he stands up. And Crassus now triumphantly says, Yes. Spartacus. Great. And then crucify. Mm -hmm. And they take him away. And Caesar asks, this is an interesting moment. He asks, Did you fear him, Crassus? Not when I fought him. I knew he could be beaten. But now I fear him. Even more than I fear you. (laughs) Caesar, me? Yes, my dear Caesar, you. And they write off. And Caesar doesn't say, you don't have anything to fear. Yeah. Just goes, yeah. It's interesting. So so the, the, the next thing that happens in their lives uh-huh. is that Caesar, Crassus, and Pompey, this other great general, form what's called the, the first triumvirate, oh, which yeah. is they essentially, all three of them become the dictators of Rome together mm-hmm. as a partnership. Right. Because there's a big threat to Rome, which I can't remember what it is. They destroy the threat. And then Caesar basically turns Pompey against Crassus. And when they go after each other, then Caesar becomes the person who emerges as the leader of Rome. Wow. Yeah. Back to Gracchus. I don't see the letter here to the leader of the Senate. Oh, yes. Julia, I don't like the sound of weeping. This is a happy house. Please stop it. And in comes Ustinov with Verini. We don't know how he got her. Right. But apparently he got her and the baby. Maybe when he rode out to do that whole thing with Spartacus. I guess, yeah. And Lawton is uh, so lovely in this Mm. scene. He takes her hand. So this is the woman it took Crassus eight Roman legions to conquer. I wish I had time to make your acquaintance, my dear. Unfortunately, we all have to make journeys to different destinations. And he gives them passes, you know, so that they're free people and that the baby is free. I like that he says, uh, articles of freedom for the woman and a smaller document for the child fitting his size. (laughs) He's very charming. Hmm. And, and, And Yusinov asks where he's going, and he says, oh, I'm going to Mycelium or whatever it is. And they say, uh... Come with us. See to it that I don't misuse the money. No, you're ridiculous. I'm a senator. Will you please go before the soldiers come here? 
Of course, he's not going anywhere. No, no. Um, and Verenia kisses and embraces him. This would really make Crassus jealous. <laughs> Go and make my joy complete. Save your tears now. Save them for the journey. And he sends them off on their way. Really lovely. Yes. And Very then he lovely. looks at two daggers and says, this one's prettier. And he very quickly turns, walks up to this room, close the curtain behind him, and we go, oh, yep. he's going to kill himself. Yep. Yeah. Gracchus is great. Such a great character because yeah. there is no indecision in Gracchus. There is always yeah. decision. Yeah. What is right. He knows it all the time, never fears it, does what needs to be done. Gets the documents, gets all this stuff squared away, sends them away, knows what he's going to do, even has the moment to, uh, to even play with death to be like, which knife should I use? Ah, yes, this one's prettier. Turns on a dime, out the door. Well, I think the thing about him, and and and, and Yusinov's character to some degree, mm. he's not afraid of the ugly things in the world. Yeah. You know, he 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 accepts that the world is an ugly place. Yep. And so when he has to deal with pirates, he deals with pirates. And when he realizes he has to kill himself, he does. He does. There's you know, to that. This yeah. is what has to happen. Yep. Uh, it's the next day, and uh, Yusinov and Vrinia ride out. They're halted by the guards. They're asking for identity and papers, and there's some conversation there. And then Vrinia looks up. Yeah. And we realize where they are and what she sees. And then Yusinov sees it. And he says, not a word, please. And she goes forward with the baby. She stops in front of Spartacus. And he looks down and sees her and the baby. And the performances again from both of them are great. And once again, they probably stripped the dialogue out here. It is just Kirk looking at her the whole time, reacting to what she's telling him. The guard kind of notices that this is happening, and we're a little nervous. Yeah, like, right. like please don't don't blow this. Um, and she holds up the baby, and she says, "This is your son. This is your son. He's free, Spartacus. Free." And the reaction again, a lot of acting is reacting, and Kirk's face is amazing. Great score too. Great yeah. score beats. Yeah, great point. He remember you, Spartacus. Because I'll tell him. I'll tell him who his father was and what he dreamed of. And she grabs his ankle. Oh, my love, my life. Please die, die. Please, please die, my love. Oh, God, why don't you die? That's a weird thing to say. Well, it's mercy. She yeah, wants no, him to die because of pain, yeah. Yeah, again, again, the Braveheart thing, yep. you know? Yeah, right. Crying for mercy. Right, right. Um, and it's interesting to me, and I don't think this is on purpose, but but like our first vision of Spartacus is him biting the ankle of a guard. Oh, really? Boy. And at this moment, she's kissing his ankle That's, as he dies. Dude, that makes so much sense. I mean, I, I don't know that it was planned, well, but because the, it works. Because I think the, the ankle biting was Kirk's idea, right. I think. Mm-hmm. And they ride off, and Spartacus watches her go. And she looks back and says, goodbye, my love. Goodbye, my love. My life. Goodbye, goodbye. And Spartacus leans back against the cross, and the music rises, and this is the end of the film. I think he dies in that moment, too. Maybe, maybe. He just, he just freezes like there. In that maybe. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Two stories about this. Yeah, please. The first story is that years and years later, Gene Simmons is working on a movie, and there's a stunt woman on the movie, and the stunt woman says, you don't remember me, 
but I was the baby you carried <laughs> in front of Spartacus in that scene. That's awesome. Isn't that great? That's so I, it's cool. a great story. Here's the other story about this. Mm-hmm. You know that second uh, version of the movie that they screened? Right. They get to this scene, and the movie's really good. Like, yeah. this is the good cut. And they get to this scene, and Vrini comes out, and she looks up, and she says her lines, and they never cut to Spartacus on the cross. Wow. He had been removed from the scene. Kirk goes nuts. Of course. He starts screaming and he grabs the first person he sees, which is the assistant editor whose name is Bob something. Yeah. And he throws him up against the wall and says, you son, rips his shirt, says, you son of a bitch. I spent days on that cross for nothing. You don't put it in the movie. How could you take that fucking scene out of it? I mean, just like screams at him. They have to drag Kirk off of this guy. I mean, he just loses it. It ends up, this guy was against that. It was Kubrick's idea. It was Kubrick's idea to not tell Kirk. Kirk is just totally ashamed, of course, and, yeah. and sends the guy a whole bunch of monogram shirts yeah. and a long apology. <laughs> and they do thought well. it was flat broke. Where to get the money for the monogram shirts? <laughs> and they and they do uh, eventually they, they do put the you know the yeah. shots back in. Yeah, um, <laughs> that sounds like an angry Kurt Douglas. Yeah. Oh, just just crazy. Um, one thing, by the way, that that when they went to the new structure without the flashbacks, yeah. one of the scenes that Kubrick had taken out of the movie was the opening stuff that Anthony Mann shot because he didn't want anything in the film oh, that he didn't shoot. Right, and it was finally Trumbo in his letter and and everyone else that convinced him, forced him. He did acknowledge it was really well filmed. Right, he just didn't want it in the movie because he didn't shoot it. Yeah. Now, we're, now remember that Kirk had made this promise to Trumbo. Yeah, and now it was the time that he had to make good on the promise. He calls up Trumbo and he says, hey, meet me for lunch. And they go to the Universal Backlot and they drive to the commissary. Trumbo's not wearing a hat and a shirt, Mm -hmm. a coat now. He's wearing a shirt. And the waiter comes up and everybody in the Universal Commissary has turned to look at Kirk Kirk Douglas and Dalton Trumbo. And the waiter comes up and says, what will you have, Mr. Douglas? And Kirk says, not sure. Why don't you ask my friend, Mr. Trumbo? And that is the moment that breaks the blacklist. Wow. And and Trumbo, not able to speak at this moment, just shakes the you know, his head and then whispers to Kirk, thank you for giving me back my name. <laughs> wow. That's a great moment. Damn. And thing and here and things happen, a lot of stuff happens in this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Otto Preminger announces he's going to use uh Trumbo to write Exodus. Right. Right at the same moment. And then Sinatra announces that he's gonna use a blacklisted writer to write a movie, and I can't remember the writer's name, mm-hmm. and there is a huge outcry because it was Sinatra did it super publicly. He didn't just walk a guy into the Universal Commissary. Mm -hmm. He did it really publicly. And this is 1960. This is the year of the election. And Kennedy is a buddy of Sinatra's. And so people start to worry because it's it's all the press that this is going to hurt Kennedy's chance to get elected. Sinatra's working on a TV thing. General Motors pulls all their advertising. They put tremendous pressure on him. And and Trumbo comes to Kirk and say, because Kirk is buddies with Sinatra, and says, you got to tell Frank to stop. You got to tell tonight like quiet down don't you know fire the guy and he's like kirk's like you don't know frank you can't nobody tells him what to do that's right and he is never going to back down and then joe kennedy calls up frank sinatra this is john kennedy's dad and says you gotta stop yeah and frank pays the writer off 
And he capitulates. Yep. But then Kennedy turns on Frank later on when he doesn't show up at Palm Springs for yeah. an invite. Yeah. But it, yeah, Sinatra did so much to get Kennedy. But that's Sinatra, man. For all the shits, I know that sometimes people do retroactively and they hear some of the jokes Sinatra and Martin made at uh, Sammy Davis's expense in those shows. I get why people feel upset about it. But Sinatra was the one who got Sammy top bill. Sinatra was the one sure. who did these strong stances for uh, civil rights, did these things in the 40s and 50s when he talked about these little movies. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he would make a grand statement about this because his mom, was Dolly, was a massive uh, a supporter of equal rights mm. amongst all the races and what have you. So this is deep in Sinatra's blood. So for him to do it in a loud way like that, that's standard Sinatra. Standard Sinatra. We haven't done a Sinatra movie, have we? No, we haven't yeah no we haven't. what would be the from here to eternity would be the one that would be the do. one yeah especially because that's where sinatra had come off the possible suicide right. attempt yeah. and ava gardner had convinced uh uh i think it's roy Cohn or uh whoever was who were running universe at the time one of the cones uh to cast sinatra as this character i don't know that movie very i mean i really? saw it in high school i think wow i have no memory of it at all really i love the movie yeah. it's so good um all right, maybe we'll do that yeah, one. I'd love to do it. There's also, um, but I I don't love Manchurian Candidate. It's as much okay. As I like the uh, the remake better. Oh, than I the never original. saw it. Really, it's Denzel? Denzel? I never saw it's it. It's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, there was a lot of talk that there were going to be protests from like American Legion and stuff, and they kind of fizzled. Yeah. yeah the, the, and this is the interesting thing is that there was all this pressure to about the blacklist and not breaking it, and oh my god, are we going to do it? When it finally broke, it just broke. Yep. You know, as everything. Yeah. Happens in life. Um. This is the biggest moneymaker in Universal history up to that point. Mm -hmm. um, one review said that Kubrick out demilled DeMille, which I like that <laughs> review. Um, That's good. Uh, by the way, it's been restored and recut multiple, mm -hmm. multiple times, scenes going back in. One of the problems, that the way it was shot, it was shot in uh, Technorama, I think is the yeah, name. Yeah. And it's where they run regular 35 millimeter film, but they run it horizontally through the film mm. rather than vertically to change the aspect ratio. And they um, also, it's a three strip process, which means that each color has its own strip. Yeah. And one of the problems with restoring it is that film shrinks over time. But the film shrunk, those three strips shrunk at different rates. So they don't match up sideways. Oh. So it was a really difficult restoration. The most recent 6K restoration is really good. It yeah. does look really good. 6K? Yeah. It did not get nominated for Best Picture. Right. Which is really surprising for, to me. It got nominated for Art Direction, Supporting Actor, Ustinov, who, yeah, who won. Cinematography, which won. Score, Costume, Edit, and Editing. Because of this film, Kirk got to put his chin into Grauman's Chinese theater, into the concrete, <laughs> and Kubrick disowned the movie. Of course. Never talked about it. Right. Uh, I believe we've gotten sort of to our final thoughts on cool. this film. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's the Ustinov, it's the only Oscar that's ever been won by, in a Kubrick film for an actor. It's oh, really? The only acting performance oh. that's ever won an Oscar in a Kubrick film. That was a Schmodown question. I remember that distinctly. Um, here's my final thoughts on the film. I think the film is even more resonant today. Every decade, the film... Uh, never goes out of style because of the themes and what it's saying. The idea of the lower class fighting against the um, the uh, uh, the upper class, or the idea of an enslaved people fighting back against their colonizers, against their enslavers, because that is the human condition to not want to be uh, uh, possessed by anything or anyone. And it 
it just carries over. Any number could be as individualistic as you being in a bad relationship where you feel like you're stuck being a slave, in essence, to this person versus an entire country or an entire, uh, I don't know, entire world or whatever. Those things all work all the time. This idea of being, look at Matrix. Matrix's idea of breaking away from the slavery of of this perceived existence or the reality. Those kinds of things, those themes always work. And I think the force of will of Kirk Douglas throughout this movie is what makes you fall in love with the movie and is the tender moments with him and, and Gene Simmons, uh, which round out the character uh, and the incredible scope of the film as well. You know, I was talking to my girlfriend driving here and I told her that we were doing the film and it's a three hour and 15 minute film. And she said, I don't remember being in three hours and 15 minutes film. I thought it was quicker than that. And the great ones right. do that. The great ones make it feel like it's over before you know it. Arabia could be four hours, Lawrence of Arabia, and it's over before you know it. And I think Spartacus is the same way. Uh, and it's just such a well-made film that will move you in so many ways. And as Steve has said throughout this whole thing, random moments that maybe didn't move you before will move you later on in life because of whatever is going on for you. And that's the gift of the great one, the great movies. And this one still has it. No matter how much Kubrick disowns it, uh, I think this is one of the best Kubrick films ever made. So uh, I've been thinking there's a quote from David Lean that I can't get exactly right, but it's mm. basically that what an epic really is is that it mixes the big with the small, Yeah, is that it is the wide shot and the close-up. And obviously, you know, he is the master of that yes. with Lawrence of Arabia. And the thing that I was thinking about is that when you picture an epic in your brain, you picture the big. Yeah. You know, you picture the big armies coming over the hill. The scope. The yeah. scope of the thing. Yeah. And what I was thinking about is these films that are really meaningful to me it's actually the small. Yeah, it's the close-up. It's uh, Mel Gibson in Braveheart and the love story. You know, mm-hmm. it's those looks between them. It's that relationship. Yeah, it's um, obviously Lawrence and Omar Sharif. You know, in Lawrence of Arabia. Right. You know, it's these moments of humanity that make it work. And for this film, is that what he does? Is that he humanizes? the slave rebellion mm-hmm. in a way that makes it resonant with us today. Yeah. You know, is that, it, and this is something that's come up over and over and again on the cinephiles is that great films can humanize the other, someone we don't understand. And when you watch the Romans and then you watch the way they treat the slaves and you see those women pick out the combatants yeah. to fight for their pleasure and the sickness of that. And these, and when you see Kirk Douglas say, I'm not an animal or touch hands with Verinia. This is the small. These are these little moments, or the looks between Kirk Douglas and Woody Strode before they have to die, or the looks between Kirk Douglas and Verinia as he is on the cross. Or even the moments with Tony Curtis and Kirk at the end. At the end. It's those little tiny moments, and it takes us a small thing and then projects it onto a big thing. Is that, and, and the thing too is, tragedies in this movie is certainly a tragedy, they maybe inspire us more to go forward than the triumphs on some levels because that I am Spartacus moment, which is tragic, yeah, is also inspiring. Yeah, It is a profound, which is why I think we talked about it so much. Mm-hmm. So that's what we think of Spartacus. We'd love to hear what you think. Visit us on our Facebook page. Please do a search for The Cinephiles. You can subscribe to the show in all the places, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher. Please leave your reviews on iTunes. They're really important. We've got some really nice ones lately and we, we appreciate every yeah. single one of them. Uh, leave your comments on YouTube. If you want to support the show, you can do it on patreon.com slash The Cinephiles. We are about to roll up a whole new system on Patreon. We've been doing 
doing a lot more shorts. We've got some other stuff coming your way. I know I've been saying this for a long time, but we really are doing it. We just had a meeting yesterday we to did. go over all of it. Yes. And I, it's really going to be coming out soon. If you want to buy or stream uh, Spartacus or any other movie we've ever done, please visit cinephiles.net. There's some other stuff on those websites that are fun. And if you want to reach me, you can do so at SR Morris on Twitter, on Instagram at SR Morris One. John, how about you? You can always reach me at the Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, as I said, please come and subscribe to my YouTube channel, www.youtube.com slash John Roca Says. I gotta get I want to get up to those 20,000 subscribers. I know we've got so many people that listen to us. If you haven't subscribed to the to the YouTube channel, I'd very much appreciate your subscription. There's a lot of great content on there now and a lot of great content to come, including the uh, Outlaw Nation show, which is finally coming back. Got a logo done, motion logo done. It is coming back. Steve will be a guest on that show in future shows. So, Can't wait. Yeah, it's, those were some of my, my favorite shows to do, so yes. And uh, if you want to follow the Cinephiles on Twitter, it's Cine underscore Files. On Instagram, it's the Cinephiles Podcast. And that is it for this week. We'll be back next time with a all-new film on the Cinephiles. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.